Our economy is crashing. Inflation is out of control. Why are conservatives bad, Mommy? Because I thought we were supposed to conserve things. They'd actually breathe in my nostrils to make me move. Russia has joined with China. Okay. <laughs> the USA is a mess. This is not real. It's just a dream. Please, please, wake up. Wake up. That's right. Wake up. Welcome to another edition of a jam-packed-filled episode of Speaking Out America. I am your host. I am here for you Monday through Friday, 9 to 10 a.m. on the CRN Talk Network and also a replay at 5 p.m. Pacific Time. And, of course, my podcast is everywhere. I also want to give a hearty thanks to my good friend uh, Todd Feinberg up there at WTIC. He and I go back about 25 years. We've seen it all, man. Uh, and he is such a great guy, he and his wife. Uh, and and we always talk honestly, brutally honest. That's what I like about the guy. Uh, he doesn't hold back, I don't hold back. And we're both just miffed at all of the chaos that, that seems to be going on in the world today. And it never ends. And And part of me feels that there's sort of a countdown effect going on. Like everything hinges on the 2024 elections. And I have my own personal reasons for believing, and I want to be very clear how I say this, but I have my own reasons for believing that while I think uh, Donald Trump will win the election, I don't think that he will end up occupying the White House. And I think that because of that, there will be I wouldn't call it a civil war, but I would just say there's going to be many millions of people that will be angry that they had yet another election taken from them. And I have many reasons for believing this. Some of this I cannot display or share with you, but I'm happy to have a private conversation if you want to call my comment line, the number uh, which you can call anytime, 941 800 2937 Again, I, I know I read it a little fast there. 941-800-2937. We are heard everywhere. Uh, and I appreciate all the folks that go to the podcast. It's uploaded every day by about noon. And each day we take highlights from the show and we put it on. We put it up there. And, I, yeah, I have my reasons for believing that Trump won't make it. I, I, I think the Democrats... Uh, and the and the administrative deep state will do everything within their power to keep this man from occupying the White House and certainly from being the president. They will go to no lengths. Now, conservative Republicans are out. Uh, they seem to be alert. They seem to be engaged more so than maybe before. Maybe we... We were assuming that Trump would win handedly over Joe Biden since Joe wasn't really campaigning all that much. And, and many of us were just like in 2016 when the Democrats were saying there's no way that Trump could really win. I mean, come on, this is a joke. Doesn't everybody realize that this is a joke? This guy's not going to win. It's going to be Hillary, Hillary, hands down. And then we all saw what happened and everybody went, whoa. That's interesting. Somebody must have cheated. Maybe it was Russian collusion. This guy couldn't have possibly won. And then you flash your head to 2023, 
And here we all are. I mean, where's that clip from yesterday? This is our, our president. I know I have it here. Let me see if I can find it. I'll have to find it. It's, it's uh, oh, here it is. He's, he's, listen to our president over in NATO yesterday talking with all the world leaders. I really think, and you're very gracious and kind to give me credit for unity at uh, NATO, but I think it's, uh, I've been doing this a long time. I don't think NATO's ever been stronger. Yesterday, President Biden vowed long-term support for Ukraine, and he wrapped up NATO's annual summit with another flub. Watch. Vladimir and I, we, the, I should, shouldn't be so familiar. Uh, Mr. Zelensky and I uh, talked about the kind of guarantees we could make in the meantime. Oof. Uh, first of all, he called him, the mistake was he called him Vladimir. That's Putin's name. Zelensky is Vlodomir, you know. So, and then, you know, at the table with all those leaders, you could barely hear what he was saying. He's just mumbling. We've got a mumbling president. What was the other day? He said something about how we're, we're proud to be back involved in the Iraqi war and that we're going to support Zelensky as much as we can. Anyway, so you, you say to yourself, well, there's no way this guy could win. I mean, right? There's no way he could win. There's no way. But he's walking around. There's nobody. He doesn't have to do the debates. So... While I believe, and many of my uh, fellows believe, that Trump could probably right some of the wrongs that Biden has put into place, which is cavalcated into creating so much mayhem and uncertainty in the market. Chief among them is this, uh, his first decision, which was to cut oil production and shale and fossil fuel production of electricity and energy so that we can be self-sufficient, self-dependent, and also offset prices to our European neighbors and not give Saudi Arabia the stranglehold that they have, or for that matter, Russia. But he, uh, in his effort to be the climate change president, thought that shutting down our energy supply, the most efficient in the world, would be a benefit to the climate change folks, that we would see a drop in our temperatures. Isn't that funny? We've dropped our production. Anything happening yet? It seems to me like they're screaming about climate change now more than ever. If Europe and Germany, places like Germany and Belgium and France, and they're all cutting back, everybody supposedly is cutting back on their, their output, then why is the earth still warming? Anybody ever ask that question? Well, I know the answer to that because our carbon has nothing to do with the, the temperature. But hey, don't let me ruin your day. So there's a lot of things that Trump could do to reverse some of the, the, the things that have been done. For example, he could take CRT out of our public schools. And he could make damn sure that uh, books that promote homo, homosexuality are taken from school libraries. If a parent wants to have a conversation with their child about that, that's where it should happen. Not in the public square and certainly not in the privacy of a teacher's classroom. Now, I don't know what happened, but that one slipped right in. All of a sudden, I woke up, and all all of the kids now are switching over to being non-binary. What is that all about? So, yeah, there's something about the 2024 elections. Uh, it's a tipping point. My feeling is if we don't get back the republic now from the people that want to make us, make America just like every other despotic country in the world, where more and more privacy rights are being taken from people, 
more and more freedoms are being taken from people. We're being told to mask up. We're being told to stay home. We're all, you know, you hear these weather reports. Oh, yeah, 30 million people are under a heat advisory. What does that even mean? What, you had to go and tell these people, 30 million people, that it's going to be hot in July? Uh, the government and media treat us like children, like we can't know things, or that they know more than we do. And the fact is, is they don't. They're just trying to get clicks, just like everybody else. And one of the areas where we think that we're having a real problem in this country is with our own Justice Department. And this, again, falls under the, the jurisdiction of Biden. He's the one. Everything rolls downhill from his office. And if he says go after conservative Catholics because they are seen as potentially domestic terrorists because of their faith, we got a problem. And here's Jim Jordan grilling. I want to play a little bit of what was said yesterday with uh, FBI Director Chris Ray in the hot seat. Here's Jim Jordan in a, in a little interchange here. Without objection. Director, what's the difference between a traditional Catholic and a radical traditional Catholic? Uh, I'm not a, an expert on the, the Catholic uh, orders. Well, your FBI wrote a memo talking about radical traditional Catholics. I'm just wondering if you could define it for us. Well, what I can tell you is you're referring to the Richmond product, which was a single product by a single field office, which as soon as I found out about it, I was aghast and ordered it withdrawn and removed from FBI systems. You were aghast. Then why won't you let us talk to the people who put it together? We are working on finishing an internal review into what happened We have there. to wait. The, we, the Congress, and the American people have to wait until you do an internal review. It's not a criminal investigation going on here. An internal review before we can talk to the people who wrote this? We, when we finish our internal review, which will be very soon, we will come, come back idea before how the Catholics committee in America? and provide a briefing on what we found. Well, we appreciate the we briefing, can, but we want to talk to the people who wrote it. Any idea how can, many Catholics there are in America, Director? Uh, no, sir. There's a lot, over 60 million. What percentage of those are radical traditional Catholics, according to the Richmond Field Office of the FBI? Again, that product is not something that I will defend or excuse. It's something that I thought was appalling read, and removed it. Let's read from that product, page four of that product. By the way, the copy you gave us, when can we get a copy that didn't have all these redactions on it? So we can actually see what the American taxpayers were paying for to see their rights, their First Amendment religious liberty rights attacked. Let me just read from page four. Provide new opportunities to mitigate extremist threat through outreach to traditional Catholic parishes and the development of sources with the placement and access to report on places of worship. That's pretty fancy language for they're trying to put informants in the parish, in the church. That's what this memorandum said, Director, from one of your field offices. And you won't let us talk to the people who did it. Any response to that? I didn't know. I was waiting for the question. No, priest, do you think priests priest should be informants inside the church, Director? We do not recruit, open, or operate confidential human sources to infiltrate, target, report. But that's not, uh, what, this, that's not what this said. It sounds like you were trying to do it in no, Richmond, Virginia. No, sir. No, sir. No, you weren't? Sir. This, this didn't happen? You can assure us that this that, didn't happen? That product did not, to as best as we can tell, result in any investigative action as a result of it. Politics was the total motivation here, and that's what's scary. That's what's, I think, so frightening and why we, why we, how this happens, I don't know. And five people signed off on it. Jim Jordan, grilling Chris Ray. We'll break it down in just a moment.
Welcome back to Speaking Out America. I'm your host, JR, speaking out about those things that have so much impact in our life. And in talking about forecasting into 2024 and how all it, all the stakes are in. This is this is it for the ages. This, I think, is going to uh, what, what the outcome of the, for at least for America, 2024, and probably the profound impact it'll have on the rest of the world. We're either going to slip into slow tyranny with the re-election of this or some other Gavin Newsom-type fellow that's going to step in and continue the progressive fundamental changing of America, uh, where there'll be even tighter speech controls, more censorship, more of the same of what you've been getting the last couple of years on steroids. And uh, whether it's Trump, whether it's uh, Tim Scott, whether it's whoever it is that can put the brakes on this progressive train that is completely off the rails uh, is my desired goal. So I want to call out, obviously, what I think are uh, uh, extreme government overreach. And this is what we saw a little bit yesterday. Bear in mind that just as I've stated my opinion on how I think the government is currently operating, there are those on the other side who look at us, those on the right, as being a, a specific kind of enemy. And I think Governor Johnson, who may have missed his calling as a preacher, uh, was very effective at displaying exactly the kind of anger and vitriol that the left feels about conservatives in America. Remember, he's talking about Americans here. He's talking about people who simply hold a different political point of view. Listen to the hatred in this man's voice on the on the hearing floor yesterday, just before he started questioning, or I, I should say, kissing the butt of Chris Ray. Here's a George, Georgia Senator Johnson. We are here today because MAGA Republicans will do anything to protect Donald Trump, their savior, no matter how unfounded or dangerous it may be to do so. Welcome to the legislative arm of the Trump re-election campaign. And then what was the January 6th commission hearings? What was that? He, he sat on that commission, too. And I watched him then, and he, uh, he like the rest of them, they, they cherry-picked the data they wanted. Now I'm hearing two, speaking of the January 6th, I'm hearing two stories. One, that he's suing Fox News for defamation of character. And two, that he is apparently going to be arrested for participating in the January 6th, uh, uh, whatever they call it, the insurrection. Uh, here's a man who for years thought, we thought, was probably an informant of the FBI. At least that's the way the media, he was there, he was encouraging people. I mean, it looked pretty plain to me what Ray Epps was doing and then suddenly he disappears. But he may be about to face justice. Isn't that interesting? Maybe that's why he's uh, maybe suing Fox News to get money for a lawyer. But here's Daryl Issa, one of my favorite uh, conservative congresspersons from uh, the once golden state of Cal- the golden shower state of California. Uh, is Daryl Issa grilling, which I thought was the best part of the hearings yesterday, because I think Issa really nailed it as to why Chris Ray is sitting in that chair, because the American people do not currently trust the FBI. Here's Daryl in this brief interchange between two of them. How many individuals were either FBI uh, employees or people that the FBI had made contact with 
were in the January 6th uh, entry of the Capitol and surrounding area. So I really need to be careful here talking about uh, where we have or have not used confidential human sources. Was there one or more? Was there one or more individuals that would fit that description on January 6th that were in or around the Capitol? I I believe there is a uh, a filing in one of the January 6th cases that can provide a little more information about this, and I'm happy to see if we can follow back up with you. I I just want an answer. Was there one or more? I mean, you would know if there was at least one individual who worked for the FBI. Who, who entered the Capitol on that day? Uh, I can't, again, I just can't speak to that here, but I'm happy to get the court filing well, that... Look, it's been two years, and you're now, you're now come before us. The gentleman asks these questions, makes all kinds of insinuations, and you, you nod your head yes, and then I ask you simply, was there one or more? And you won't answer that. So I'm going to make the assumption that there was more than one, more than five, more than ten, and that you're ducking uh, the, the question because you don't want to answer for the fact that you had at least one and somehow missed understanding that some of the individuals were very dangerous and that there were others inciting individuals to enter the Capitol after others broke windows. So I'm just going to move on because I think it is time to move on past January 6th. I just, uh, seems that the other side won't. Um, the question I have for you is, uh, you're the premier law enforcement operation, and you're a former Department of Justice, high-ranking executive at all levels. So would you agree that the job of the FBI is criminal investigation? Is criminal investigation uh, and to protect the country from national security threats, those two things. Okay. So the, the idea that you take information and you have it taken down, use your authority and the the leverage you have to have Meta, Google, uh, Facebook, or Facebook being Meta, or uh, Twitter, take down people's information uh, on things like where where COVID came from. Where do you find the national security interest in that? Where, Where do you find the interest in free speech of American citizens being taken down? And I repeat, free speech of American citizens. Where, where do you have that authority? So we don't uh, ask social media companies uh, to censor information or suppress information. Yeah, right. Uh, when it comes to national security threats, certainly. Uh, so what we do do is alert them when some other intelligence agency gives us information about a foreign intelligence service being behind some account, we will call social media companies' attention to that. But at the end of the day, we're very clear that it's up to the social media companies to decide whether to do something about it. The suggestion it or not, of the most powerful law enforcement operation is not a suggestion. It is, in fact, effectively an order. Yeah, that's what I said. I mean, look, if, if you call Mark Zuckerberg and your name is Chris Ray and you say, hey, we don't like the fact that they're talking about uh, uh, on your, your uh, Facebook page uh, that the Wuhan virus may uh, have come from a, the Wuhan lab, I need you to throttle those, those comments back. What do you think Mark Zuckerberg is going to do? He's going to call his head of the throttle department and say, hey, we need to clamp down on that. I mean, it's look for keywords. Anybody who says anything about the Wuhan bat lady, censor it. I mean, that's what they do. That's what they did. We, we know this already. Why is Chris Ray lying to us? Why is he telling 
you know, Daryl Issa, uh, we don't really do that. I mean, we, we just alert them if there's foreign intelligence and we have, I just, uh, you know, that's why he's there because Chris Ray's FBI is not to, 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 we don't know if we can trust them. And it leads to the next big important step in all this, which is the curtailment of free speech, which has to be talked about. And we're going to talk about it in the next segment because that's the next step. That's the next step. In the, in the coming years ahead, you're going to hear you're going to hear more and more about legislation and laws that restrict what you can say to somebody. For example, in Michigan, if you offend somebody, you could spend time in jail if you call them the wrong pronoun. That's what I'm talking about. We're heading in a very Orwellian direction if we're not there already. We'll continue in just a moment. Speaking out, America. America. JR here with you. Monday through Friday, 9A to 10A Pacific Time on CRN1talk.com. And then a replay, 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Then, of course, the podcast is available everywhere on all the major platforms. Just Google search or Yahoo search or Bing search Speaking Out America podcast. And I'll pop up. And you can listen on any kind of player that you have. If you have a tablet, if you have a, a phone, if, whatever you have, it, it plays. That's all I know. That's what they tell me. Uh, so, Talking about free speech, that's the next thing that's you're hearing more and more about how young people today, uh, in the need of safety, they would they would rather have free speech curtailed, and certainly with this big LGBTQ agenda being pushed, that is going to be the wedge that uh, the government will use uh, because today uh, speech, hate speech, is considered as violent as punching somebody in the face. In many ways, the law looks at someone being offended by speech, by by audio, verbal communication. They look at it the same way as if you went and punched somebody in the nose. Because it's a so-called emotional trauma. See, now emotional trauma is this sort of subjective. It's kind of like when they give the weather and they they have the real weather, which is the temperature. And then they have the feels-like weather as if everybody feels the same way. Now, I'll give you a good example. My wife and I, there's probably a 100-pound difference between us, uh, which is not saying, I mean, she's very light and I'm very heavy. Uh, and, and I can tell you right now that to her, 75 degrees is really cold because she's kind of thin-skinned, whereas me, I've got an extra layer of, 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 of skinness. And so, you know, 75 is perfect for me. So when you say something feels like, well, that's subjective because everybody feels differently. Just like if I, if someone feels like they're a woman and they identify as a woman, but it's, and I see them as being a man who is dressed up like a woman, if I address that person as a man, I can be put in jail if I'm in Michigan or if I'm in Scotland or if I'm in England or if I'm in France or if I'm in Germany. You get to pick the reality, not me. And I have to go by what you say. Otherwise, I can offend you. And if I offend you, well, then that could create a traumatic moment in your life that may stick with you forever and may forever affect all of your decision-making. 
And that's what the psychiatrist has said. They've, they have legitimized hurt feelings. They have codified the idea that by hurting someone's feelings, you are, inflict, you are inflicting physical, often irreversible pain. To which I say, says who? Can you prove that in a laboratory? Can you show me an example of anyone ever, uh, I don't know, falling ill? Maybe they get exasperated. Maybe they get upset. Maybe their blood pressure goes up. But have you ever seen anybody actually die from being offended? Or, or similar to breaking an arm? Are they physically injured? Do they have a, a, a gait in their walk after a while? Are they in it, unable to go outside? You know, I get into these heated matches sometimes with people because I like to debate. And more and more frequently, I'm hearing people say, you know what, I'm starting to feel unsafe. Have you ever had that happen where you're arguing with somebody or you're debating an issue and they're starting to lose and you're starting to win because facts will trump whatever they have to say? And then they say, you know what, I'm starting to feel unsafe. You know why they're saying that? Because they are unsafe, because they realize they're wrong. You know, if you get into a debate with somebody, do you think that an eight-year-old child can really determine they're in the wrong body and they're, uh, they have a right to expect the uh, gender reassignment? You get into an argument with somebody who agrees with the eight-year-old, and then you say, well, if that's the case, then show me another example of where a patient can go into a doctor's office and tell them what's wrong with them and have the doctor give them the right pills. It's not going to happen. Because doctors know that people come in all the time with ailments they think they have that they don't have. And boy, the placebo effect is incredible. You can hand somebody a couple of pills that are placebo pills and say, I tell you what, I guarantee you, you take this home and you are going to feel better tomorrow. Your stomach pains will go away. And 50% of the time, guess what? The stomach pain will go away. You know why? Because the mind is a very powerful tool. The mind tells the body what to do. The body doesn't tell the mind what to do. You're the captain of your ship. I have to remind you of this, right? And you start having that conversation with somebody, I'm not feeling safe. <laughs> I'm sorry. You crossed the line. You spoke the truth. I feel unsafe. I need to go to my little safe zone where nobody can challenge my ideas. That, by the way, is what Threads is all about. A hundred million people signed up for Mark Zuckerberg's social media Threads. Uh, because they're what, Mark Zuckerberg fans? Or because they want to be in a safe place where they're not challenged, where nobody can challenge their opinions. Or if you're guilty of wrong think, you can be removed immediately. That's what frightens me about the new crop of people today. They're absolutely afraid of getting into a discussion about things that they disagree with, and they don't want to hear it. They, want to, they don't want to grow. They don't want to learn anything new. They don't want to take the other perspective. They simply want to take the perspective that they've taken. And that's it. And there's no intellectual growth. We are a nation of idiots. Well, not all of us. You and I know who I'm talking about. So the next thing they're going to go after is your speech, your ability to express yourself. If you're a blogger, you know what they do in China. You have to register now if you want to have a blog or... If you want to report on anything, you have to register with the government. They're going to try to implement that here. There are agencies right now 
uh, in the UK and I believe in the EU where you have to register in order to have a website because they don't want you spreading misinformation because misinformation could cause people to run around and stab themselves in the eye. That's what they're worried about. They're worried that people will just break down because they're being challenged, because they feel unsafe, and that's a very traumatic experience. Rand Paul, one of my favorite senators, says he's introducing a bill, and it's sad and it's tragic that he has to introduce this bill because we're already supposedly guaranteed free speech by our First Amendment right. But here's Rand Paul explaining the bill that he is crafting. Our law would prevent and make it illegal for the FBI or the Department of Homeland Security or any official from government to sit down with media and bully, imply, discuss, or in any way try to influence that media to take down constitutionally protected speech. The Supreme Court has clearly delineated what is protected speech. These are my opinions, your opinions. They can't be forced to be taken down. There's a big court case, Missouri versus Biden, where the judges now come out with an injunction against government doing exactly what my bill would do. So I think we're going to win ultimately the Supreme Court. But in the meantime, Congress needs to take a stand on the First Amendment. You're right. It shouldn't be necessary, but it is necessary because government is meeting every week with big tech trying to take down opinions. And when Ray says it's not happening, he's not being honest. This is going to come out in court. There's a huge paper trail of all these people talking about it and uh, advocating and bullying media to try to take down certain positions, and we're going to stop it. And the other way to stop it is to object to it when it happens. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've put up a post of something that I've seen on the Internet, and I never see it anywhere, ever. And I don't know if it's because of the topics and they get flagged, but it's not right because the, the new social square, the new town square is, or the new public square is social media. It's where we're able to discuss things like, oh, I don't know, the efficacy of vaccines. Is, is there something wrong with people having a discussion about it or sharing something that maybe they saw on the Internet that goes against the narrative? I mean, do we really need to treat adults like children? And protect them from misinformation because, by God, they might make the wrong decision. You know, someone very close to me made a decision to trust the narrative, and she was permanently injured. How do you think that makes me feel? I, I have a lot of questions, but nobody wants to answer them. I'll be right back. I was telling my friend Todd yesterday on, on his radio station, WTIC in Hartford, and we, of course, want to send out all of our condolences to the folks there dealing with all the heavy rains, particularly in Bernie Sanders State, Vermont. You know, having experienced a number of tragedies in my life uh, due to the weather, uh, the thing that I learned the last time when I, I was right dab, I mean, we were literally 20 miles from the eye of the Hurricane Ian, which blew through South Florida not a year ago, not even a year ago. And we lost power for, I think it was about two weeks. 
And when I say we lost power, I mean we lost our electricity, we lost our cable, we lost our cell phone coverage. I mean, that was unprecedented, really. Uh, And we were reduced to naked and afraid pretty quickly. It is absolutely true that there is no way on earth that anybody would have survived without fossil fuels. There's just no way. They, they would not have been able to remove the rubble. They probably saved lives. I mean, there were people that were stuck in four-story buildings because floors one and two were completely flooded. And uh, the amount of trucks, I remember my wife and I, but by the end of week one, we could no longer take it. We went northward. Well, at least we could find a place that had running water and cell phone and internet. But as we were heading northbound uh, on I-75, what we noticed that coming southbound were just, uh, it almost looked like an army, you know, barricade of trucks just coming. Uh, And they were Duke Energy and all these energy companies from other parts of the the country that came to help clean up, get things back to normal, rescue people, save cats, find dogs, all that stuff that they do. And you can't do any of it with renewables. I mean, it was so obvious to me that trying to depend on solar energy or wind energy or battery power. My son had a Tesla that didn't move from our garage for three weeks because the charging stations weren't operating. And that was such a wake-up call to me because, it, you know, I had already, I've been a skeptic of this whole climate change agenda ever since back in the 90s. When the environmental cause was pollution and air and water and and oceans, that was the legitimate environmental cause. Now it's been uh, hijacked and distorted and twisted into this chasing and counting carbons and and making accusations like, well, for example, they're saying that the floods now in Vermont were because of climate change. I mean, where do they get this stuff? How even even the uh, the international report on climate change doesn't say that. You know, in the beginning of the hurricane season, and they do it every year, oh, you're going to have 12, you might have 14 hurricanes that year. Well, nobody knows. You can't know. Uh, Anyway, so uh, my point was, is that I was talking to Todd, my friend at TIC, and we got into a little engagement about that. That very truth is that when I see John Kerry up there, preaching to all the world leaders, telling them we're running out of time and we need more money and we need more restrictions. This is really what it's all about. It's restrictions. They're going to restrict you. They're going to charge you. They're going to up your electric bill if they haven't done it already. You're going to pay fines. Uh, You could eventually probably even be fined by the government if you exceed a certain carbon threshold. I mean, now they're implementing ESG to all these corporations. You need to show us that how many carbon, how much carbon you're producing. It's crazy. But nothing shows the hypocrisy of the so-called concerned world leaders than this story from Town Hall that I read. Uh, there's a video that's gone viral. The Spanish ecological transition minister, Teresa Ribera, is on her bike riding to uh, an informal European Union climate summit where bicycle policy to reduce use of gas-guzzling automobiles was a main item on the agenda. But what happened was 
about 100 yards from where the actual meeting was taking place. Now, bear in mind, she was traveling all the way from her hometown uh, to this place, Valladolid, Spain. Uh, but the last, kind of similar to what Justin Trudeau tried to do a few years ago, or I forget, maybe it was him or maybe it was Macron, where they ride the bike the last 20 feet. Or maybe it was, uh, oh, I know who it was. It was our uh, Department of Transportation, uh, Pete Buttigieg. Remember, he, he rides his car to the last 50 feet, and then he gets his bicycle out and rides the rest of the way to show his support. Well, in Rabira's case, she didn't cycle all the way from Madrid. She, she drove a car most of the way, or she was driven, and then she gets her bicycle out, and there's like nine security cars that are backing up traffic just to let her get out, ride her bicycle, and, and do a photo op just before her meeting. And it's the same with John Kerry, where he flies all over the world to meet with all these people, all these climate summits that are going on everywhere, and all these people are driving in, and you got all the black cars from Brussels that are heading over to the UN, and they're all going to talk about how they're going to save the planet from carbon. But they're producing so much carbon themselves, it's like, well, why do you get to produce carbon? Well, we're here to save the planet. And the, the, the common people just eat it up. Oh, they're trying to save the planet. Every time there's a natural disaster, you hear on television, oh, we're saving the planet. We have to save the planet. We're running out of time. It is literally the uh, the chicken, you know, the chicken or whoever it was, it would say, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And then one day the sky does fall, but nobody pays attention. And I'll tell you what's happening right now uh, is is that they're they're pulling, many of the so-called experts are pulling the wool over your eyes about it. Uh, and the way they're doing it is they're using the heat to justify uh, the the aggressive movement towards more solar and more wind. And they're punishing energy production companies for producing fossil fuels and not switching over to renewables. But by the same time, it's putting a, a, a strain on the country's power grids. So what they're going to do is when you start losing power, if you haven't lost it already, they're going to tell you it's because of the climate. So it's the bait and switch. They're trying to get you to think something that isn't true. They're trying to tell you that the climate is causing the drain on the power grid because, because it's so hot. And because it's so hot, because we've, we've changed the atmosphere. And that's putting more of a strain on the grid. It's sort of this weird logic, isn't it? Isn't it strange how they take this law? It's hotter outside because we're producing more carbon, which is making the earth warm, and it's putting a strain on the power grids. That sounds like it would make sense. But the strain on the power grids isn't because we're using more of it. Well, we might be because our population is expanding. The real reason is because there's less fossil fuel energy to tap into to get the power out to the lines. But it's the natural disasters, the earthquakes that you saw, remember last year, and was it southern Turkey, northern Syria, devastated entire towns. Uh, they weren't using renewable electric vehicles, those Himatsu train, uh, you know, ch uh, giant machines. Those run on uh, diesel fuel, my friend. Um, and 
we move away from that, we're doing ourselves in because we won't be able to function as a society. How'd you like to be without power for six months? What kind of stability would you have, right? You wouldn't have any stability. I, I personally sat in more than one line for hours and hours and hours waiting to get two gallons of gasoline so I could power my generator to keep my refrigerator, you know, humming. So we could at least function, you know, because we're all used to having everything. Turn on a switch, it's there. Cable's there. Wi-Fi, there. Everything's there. When it's not there, that's when you realize how much you're dependent on God's greatest gift to human beings. Coal. Concentrated energy. Concentrated over a thousand years from all the plants and all the dinosaurs that came before us. All of that carbon in them became pressed, and it's a beautiful thing to watch that oil. You know, I remember driving around L.A. when I was a kid. There'd be all these, you know, they look like uh, grasshoppers, you know, those pumps that go up and down. You see them all over Texas. And and I, I was like, what are they doing? What are they doing? Well, in, in L.A., uh, oil just seeps out of the ground. It just comes right up. If you're not careful on a hot day, you might step in a little oil puddle of of that black crude coming up out of the crevice in the sidewalk. That's a good thing, man. That's that's that that talk about abundance. You could scoop some of that up, mold it into a ball, take it home, or probably throw on a couple of steaks on the barbie. Uh, if you could figure out a formula to condense it, you could go scoop up a bunch of oil coming up in the L.A. basin. And and yet we're so. We've been convinced. <laughs> We've been convinced, like like the the book uh, Brave New World, that grass is dangerous. They put little kids on grass and then they shock them, and they convince them that they're gonna die if they step on grass. And it's the same thing, you know. You got these kids; they glue rocks to their hands. <laughs> now they're gonna have to lose their hands because they want to save the world from oil. Oh my goodness. Uh, you know, I guess somewhere in all of this madness, you really kind of have to find some humor. Otherwise, it's going to take you down. Thanks for joining me on Speaking Out America. And we'll see you next time. Tomorrow's Friday. Can't wait. Don't forget, 9 to 10 a.m., Monday through Friday, right here on crntalk.com and on your podcast platform everywhere. Till next time.